Hello and welcome to Coffee Up, a podcast by Market Lane Coffee. My name is Tyson. This is the last podcast in our seven-part series where Christian and I have caught up with the coffee buying team from Market Lane and our sister company, Melbourne Coffee Merchants, to talk about each of the countries where we buy coffee. Today, Christian catches up with Fleur, the founder of Melbourne Coffee Merchants and the co-founder of Market Lane, to talk about Bolivia. Bolivia is a landlocked country in South America, surrounded by Brazil, Peru, Chile, Argentina and Paraguay. Bolivia's coffee-growing regions are at some of the highest altitudes and the lowest latitudes, and this is part of what makes Bolivian coffee so unique. Bolivia is also a really challenging country to grow coffee in. But thankfully, there are a handful of awe-inspiring, hard-working and passionate producers who see Bolivian coffee's incredible potential, and it's thanks to them that we have some of our favourite coffees to share with you every year. So without further ado, I'll hand it over to Christian and Fleur. So how long have Market Lane and MCM been sourcing coffee from Bolivia? So we first bought coffee in 2010 and then my first trip to Bolivia was in 2011. I travelled um, with Paul Gaishos from Mecca in Sydney and we bought our first container of coffee back to Australia off the back of that trip. Is it a pretty easy place to navigate compared to some other countries? I understand that La Paz being the tallest or the highest altitude city in the world, that it's one of the few places where you have to drive downwards or lower in altitude to actually reach coffee farms. Yeah, that's right. So you land in El Alto, which is um, located at 4,062 metres above sea level. So it's incredibly high. I have a distinct memory after about 30 hours of travel arriving in El Alto with Paul and the Australian cricket team were there, um, the junior cricket team, and they were there to do altitude training in La Paz. (laughs) And... um, they were quite nervous. They were there with their coach and we were lining up to get our passports through. And one of the things that hits you when you do land is the altitude. It's really hard to breathe. You kind of get quite lightheaded. And we were standing in the queue to get our passport stamped and the head coach fainted in the queue. Oh. And all these poor 16-year-olds were looking on terrified, realising that they were going to train in La Paz and they couldn't even get through the airport queue without the altitude affecting them. So that's a really distinct memory um, of landing. You then drive down into La Paz, which sits, I think, at about 3,800 metres above sea level, so still very, very high. Um, the altitude affects your appetite. You're not really very hungry. It affects your sleep. It's really difficult to sleep. And And on that first trip and in subsequent trips, I often have to request oxygen, which they give you for free in the hotel rooms. In like a Um, a canister with a mask thing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that just helps you breathe and and sleep a bit better. Yeah. It's it's quite hectic and it it affects different people in different ways. I now take altitude tablets when I go and that makes it much easier. But the times in La Paz are quite tricky just because the altitude really does affect you. Um, So I'm always desperate to get down to the farms, which are much lower um, down in altitude. Um, It feels like you're landing on the moon when you land. It's very rocky. There's not a lot of vegetation or growth because there's not much that can survive at those altitudes. Even the locals who live in La Paz, some of them have to travel to El Alto for work and they'll be affected by the altitude. They'll talk about tightening of their heads and a headache. So, yeah, the altitude is, it's it's real. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've only seen photos, but yeah, it does, it does look a lot like the moon. It looks like a really sort of, without the context of mountains and, you know, forestry below, it looks like a desert. 
Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And then when you leave La Paz to drive to the coffee growing region, we actually travel upwards first to a, a place called El Cumbre, which is about 5,000 metres above sea level. It's very high. And then and then afterwards you travel down. So you travel through kind of snow-capped mountains and then start to travel down. And it's amazing watching the vegetation as you travel change and become a lot more tropical, a lot warmer, um, a lot more lush. It's a really beautiful drive. When we first went in 2011, the road to get to Karanavi, which is the main coffee region that we buy from, is known as Death Road. And at yeah. that time, it was um, it was completely unrenovated, so it was quite it was quite a scary ride. We had to travel at night, um, yeah. and there was a, a one way road wrapping around the mountain range, and two ways of traffic. So the car would often be kind of swerving to the right or left to avoid an oncoming truck that would be barreling along the road. There was heaps of dust and it was it was terrifying. In subsequent years, the government has been updating the road, so now it's a lot safer to, to get to the coffee farms. But it was very terrifying in those early, early years of travelling there. So I know that Bolivia is one of your favourite coffee-growing regions. Can you tell us a bit about why that is? Yeah, I really love the taste of Bolivian coffees. They're incredibly clean, incredibly sweet very, very transparent. For me, the coffees from this um, part of the world are, are coffees that I can just drink cup after cup of. There's also just huge potential for Bolivia to produce great coffee. Part of that is due to the altitude. Um, the soil is very nutrient rich. There's big temperature ranges. Um, one of the things that makes it very distinct and, and I guess different from other origins that we source from is it's, it's one of the highest altitude and lowest latitude coffees produced in the world. The other thing that makes it very unique is that the region's remoteness has meant that hybrid coffee varieties haven't been introduced. So as a result, there's an abundance of high quality varieties like Couture, Catuai, Tipica that are grown and, and they're known for their exceptional flavour. So Bolivia produces very little coffee. Their coffee production has dropped by more than half in the last decade. Can you tell us a little bit about the reasons for that? What's behind it? Yeah, so we started buying coffee in Bolivia in 2010, and at that time, coffee production was around 70,000 bags. And I believe in the 2019-20 crop, the production was around 22,000 bags. To give that some context, some of the farms that we work in Brazil, like Fazenda Progresso, probably produce 22,000 bags or more. So for a country, it's, it's a very small amount of coffee that's produced. So overall coffee production is small and then, and then it has also declined over the last decade. There's a few reasons that have contributed to this decline. One is that coffee competes with the local coca industry, which has grown for drugs. The thing about coca is that it harvests all year round. It's much easier to pick and it often yields a much higher profit for farmers. In many parts of Bolivia, the production of coca is illegal. However, the president is an ex-coca grower himself, so he allows it to be grown in some regions. In Karanavi, where we source our coffee from, it is definitely illegal, but is also grown. One of the devastating things about coca production is that often untouched rainforest is illegally destroyed to plant the coca. They don't use shade trees to protect the coca mm -hmm. coffee, uh, sorry, the coca trees, which they do for coffee. And so the lack of shade means that there's huge problems with erosion. Also in coca production, they use a huge amount of biocides in an effort to bolster their crops. And that means that often after a few years of production, the soil is infertile and the land is then abandoned and nothing else can be grown there. So it can have a devastating impact on farming land. 
The other challenge is that there's an absence of a centralised body to support and promote coffee production. So unlike other coffee producing origins that we source from, like Guatemala or Brazil, coffee producers in Bolivia don't get any support from a, a national body. Historically, they did. They used to get a lot from the US aid, who put a lot of funding into Bolivia to try and encourage coffee production as an alternative to drug production. But when the president, Evo Morales, was sworn in, he stopped any US aid coming into the country. So it's meant that there's been no kind of internal support for coffee production. The other reason why coffee production has also declined quite a lot in the last decade has been because the farms themselves are ageing. There was a lot of land given to small producers in the 1950s and 60s and those small parcels of land have been passed from family to family. They've grown coffee each year but over the last 40 years um, those plantations are now quite old and the farming practices are not very sophisticated so they're not doing things like pruning or applying any pesticides or any fungicides or doing things to make sure that their their coffee farms are producing the, the best yield that they possibly can that meant in particular when leaf rust came through in about 2014 2015 a lot of the coffee farms were devastated a lot of farms were abandoned as a result of that um so, yeah, coffee production stopped in, in some parts of the country as a result of leaf rust. So it sounds like um, it's quite, it's not the simplest place to grow coffee. It also sounds like there's not too much ability to plan over the long term as well. If cocoa production is quite devastating to the soil, it seems like each patch that's been planted and harvested for too long is a place that you can't go back to and you, you can't grow coffee from there again. Yeah, so we have lost some producers to coca production, which is which is really devastating. I think what's happened in the last 10 years, which is really positive, is that the family that we work with in Bolivia have done a lot to help producers increase their yield, and that's made coffee production a lot more attractive. Historically, the average farmer would produce, I think it was about 2.5 bags per hectare, which is very, very low. And if they only own three to five hectares of coffee, they might be relying on 10 bags of coffee a year as their income. What they've done is worked really hard through a program called Sol de la Manana to train producers to improve their farming practices. And through that program, they've managed to increase the average yield to 20 bags per hectare. So suddenly coffee is a much more viable revenue stream for producers. And that's having an amazing ripple effect on the entire industry as they become quite successful and invest more in coffee, their neighbours will see what they're doing and those farming practices are passed on to neighbours. And so we're starting to see the yield and the revenue change and improve for those small producers and that, that's having a really positive impact on coffee production. Very cool. Daniela Rodriguez, who maybe we'll touch on them in a little bit, but she, um, she told me that they're called photocopies. When a farm, when they see that a farm is doing really well within this program and the neighbours kind of watch from over the fence to pick up on the practices and they, they call them photocopies. So it kind of spreads out. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. Like when we've visited Bolivia, when we first visited coffee farms there, all the farming practices were organic. The, the coffee was almost kind of growing wild in people's farms. There was no kind of system to pruning or... or mm. um, looking after the trees and regenerating the coffee trees over time. 
Now when we visit the coffee farms, everything is organised in very neat rows. There's a system to pruning, there's a system for nutrition. Um, The Mm. soil has been analysed and is being optimised. The farms now are much easier to, to harvest coffee from and to look after. And you can see it. You can see the, the coffee farms that we work with and then their neighbour next door has, has emulated what they're seeing their neighbours do. So it definitely has had an amazing photocopying effect yeah. across the region. Um, so it sounds as though, given that the production of Bolivian coffee overall is quite small, is it fair to say that everybody has become a lot more quality focused? Yes, absolutely. So historically, there hasn't been a focus on quality coffee production in Bolivia. That was due to lots of different factors, a lack of infrastructure, really challenging geography. So in the past, producers would pulp their coffee at their farm and then they'd transport it to a centralised processing station. But often that was located very far away from the coffee producing areas. Coffee would have to go along roads of very different altitudes and different temperatures. And so often by the time it would get to the processing station, it would be ruined um, or the quality would be um, impacted. But about a decade ago, the US-funded programs helped to start to build more washing stations in the country, and that meant that farmers had more access to better facilities, and they also provided training and financial assistance. And then one of the big things that happened was in 2004, the Cup of Excellence arrived and was only there for, I think, maybe four or five years. But in that time, producers participated in the program, realised that they had a product that was really special and that people were willing to pay really high prices for and that also helped propel the industry forward. And I think now the work that the Rodriguez family have done in Bolivia has really also helped to raise awareness of quality coffee and helped producers see the benefits of producing quality coffee. Um, So I guess touching on the Rodriguez family, do you mind telling us a little bit about the process of purchasing coffee in Bolivia and who we work with there? Yeah, so the Rodriguez family consists of Pedro Rodriguez and his two children, Pedro Pablo and Daniela, who you've spoken to. They're a very dedicated, hardworking family who are very focused on building a future for specialty coffee in Bolivia. They historically had a business called Agri Cafe, which consisted of a mill in Caranavi, a wet mill where they would buy coffee from small producers in the region. That continues today, so they, they still have that wet mill and still work with lots of small producers in the region. They now also have a dry mill, which is located in La Paz. So the coffee is, they buy the coffee cherry or coffee and parchment from producers. They process it and then they bring it to their dry mill to be dry processed as well. In addition to that, they have started to produce their own coffee as well. So when they started to see the coffee production in Bolivia decline quite rapidly, they realised that their business model was quite vulnerable and they wanted to start their own coffee farms for two reasons. One was to try to understand the challenges and opportunities that existed in coffee production and also to guarantee their own supply. Their first coffee farm was in Karanavi and that was kind of a trial farm. They got a lot of external help from agriculturalists around the world and did a lot of trial and error. And then from there, they've grown to 12 coffee farms most of them are in Karanavi. They also have started growing in a new coffee region called Samaipata. Those 12 farms now probably consist of, I would say, about 50 to 60% of their output. Their goal across the business is to have 200 hectares of coffee growing. 
And then they also still work with the small producers in the Karanavi region. All of those producers are members of the Soldamanyana program, which I mentioned before. So they've all gone through lots of training, um, been taught how to produce coffee in a very methodical and scientific way and how to produce fantastic quality coffee. Does coffee grow everywhere in Bolivia or are there a few places that it tends to flourish Yeah, so the best region in Bolivia for producing coffee um, and the most well-known is the Los Yungas region, which is northeast of La Paz, and it's about a three-hour drive from La Paz. Most of the coffee that we purchase is grown in the Karanavi province, um, which sits at about 1,400 to 1,800 metres above sea level. There's also a new growing area that we source from that is called Samaipata, The Los Rodriguez family started to explore this region after doing a lot of research across Bolivia to look for other places in Bolivia where coffee would thrive. And they identified Samaipata as a good place to try. Historically, a lot of food production has happened in Samaipata, but there hadn't been any coffee production. The region had very similar characteristics to Karanavi, so it had high altitudes, nutrient-rich soil, again, wide daily temperature variances. The main difference between the two regions was that there was more wind in Samaipata and it was a little bit less tropical and a little bit drier. The first farm that they established there was called El Fuerte, which is a farm that Market Lane has worked with for many years. And they've since gone on to plant other farms in that region as well. The results have been really good and the coffee production there is going really well. It sounds as though there's quite a lot of experimentation going on. I guess when productions drop to so to such a small volume that trying to bring it back up involves a lot of new territory, I guess a lot of new introduction of varieties. I understand that the Rodriguez family have a nursery where they're trying to introduce lots of new species to see what takes off and where. Are you able to speak on that a little bit? Yeah, so I think the Lost Rodriguez family are incredibly innovative and very ambitious and are constantly trying to maximise the potential of the coffees that they're producing. So they've been doing a lot of experimentation with both varieties and processing. They've planted some beautiful geishas there that we've purchased from them, also some javas, some Kenyan varieties, Ethiostar, SL28, lots and lots of different varieties. They've also been doing a lot of experimentation with processing. So historically, most of the coffee that we sourced out of Bolivia was washed. Um, They're Mm. now doing experimentation with different fermentation times. They've introduced a lot of different equipment to help improve the processing. They've brought on experts in wine to come and look at the way that we they're processing the coffee and are trialling different ways of handling the cherries and cleaning the cherries before processing. Also doing a lot of experimentation with naturally processed coffees. So one of the naturals that we purchased for them is called a cocoa natural. The coffee cherries are put in really large box dryers. The temperature is controlled um, over, over a um, period of days And that's been resulting in some really lovely, complex, rich, but very clean cups. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're getting lots of very special, small, small micro lots from them that that are um, really distinct and really special, as well as their beautiful washed coffees that have just been processed the way a lot of our other washed coffees are uh, produced as well. Uh, Have there been any particular coffees that we've got from Bolivia over the years that have stood out to you? Any favourites that you've had? There's so many. (laughs) I, we've worked with the Mamani family since we started working in Bolivia. 
they're a family of five, well, they're five different families that work and live next door to each other and produce fantastic coffee. They performed extremely well in the Cup of Excellence when it was first established in Bolivia and have always been really committed to quality production. So for me, they're a family that is very close to my heart and I love seeing them every year that we visit. We've also worked with Pedro Flores for many, many years. His coffee is always, again, very sweet, very clean, very consistent, and that's a coffee that we've featured mm. every single year at Market Lane. We've got a lot of good feedback about that. Whenever it comes around, people interstate always sort of let me know that that's one of the ones they're enjoying the most. Yeah. And then I guess in more recent years, the geishas that we've been getting from the Rodriguez family are incredibly special. I feel like the quality every year has got better and better. They're um, very floral, very delicate, very, very elegant. Um, and it just feels so special to be able to, to serve them here in Australia. El Fuerte is a coffee that I absolutely love. Um, it sits in a seasonal blend every single year. And I think whenever that blend comes out, it's always one of my favourite seasonal espressos of the year. Again, I think it's the sweetness and the clarity that it brings to the blend that I, that I really enjoy. So given the slow rebuild of coffee in Bolivia and a lot of the sort of innovation experimentation that's happening, where do you see the, the future of Bolivian coffee? I see it as, as really bright and exciting. I think the Los Rodriguez family have continued to go from strength to strength. They're not sitting on their hands. They're continuing to invest in coffee production and in growing the market for specialty coffee in Bolivia, which is, which is really exciting. The things I'm really excited about are some of these new varieties that we're starting to see from the Los Rodriguez family some of the experimentations in the processing, which results in coffees that are really complex and clean that still retain the terroir but are really special and distinct. So I think we'll start to see a lot more microlots um, mm. coming from them in the coming years. It's definitely an origin that we're really passionate about supporting and continuing to grow in Australia um, and one that we really care about. Um, when I spoke to Daniela, she mentioned that she's had requests from coffee buyers who've wanted them to do things like add cinnamon or champagne or yeast to the fermentation process to get quite wild with how coffees are turning out there. It's pretty strange. Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of the coffees we're tasting there do really challenge our perceptions of the potential and the, and the profile of coffees that we can get from Bolivia and, and just what you can get, the, the flavour profile that you can get from coffee more generally. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we definitely are more attracted to the coffees that, that still have that taste of place and the processing doesn't kind of dominate yeah. the, the coffee, but it adds to it and it adds sweetness and it adds clarity. So they're the coffees that we as buyers look for when we're, when we're buying from there. I think the most exciting thing is that they're just so invested in continuing to raise the bar and invest in equipment and experimentation to improve the quality. So I think it'll just continue to go from strength to strength. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning a little more about Bolivian coffees. Coffee Up by Market Lane Coffee is a podcast created for our growing community of like-minded businesses who want to serve delicious, sustainable and ethically sourced coffees. Over the coming months, we'll be expanding the topics covered in this podcast and we'll also be introducing you to some new people at Market Lane Coffee. So if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We look forward to catching up with you for a coffee soon.